0: We have a great subscription offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our digital edition for 12 months for just $24.99. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your inbox for less than $4.20 an issue. Only $24.99 for a full year. So don't wait. To subscribe, go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash talking Australia. Hi, I'm Angela Heathcote and this is Talking Australia, a podcast by Australian Geographic. This episode, I'm talking to Daryl Jones. Daryl's a bird scientist who's responsible for opening up the debate around wild bird feeding in Australia. His book, The Birds at Our Table, brought a whole new perspective on a very contentious topic. Daryl went from anti-bird feeder to becoming the voice for a responsible approach to bird feeding. I'm really looking forward to bird nerding out with Daryl on this episode of Talking Australia. Today I have Daryl Jones in the building. Daryl, thank you so much for joining me.
1: It's an incredible pleasure to be here.
0: How did you become the bird feeding guru? (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's your words okay <laughs> um not by not my um design i mean i really didn't expect to get into this i i so this I, I go a tiny bit of history um way back i was involved in studying magpies because you might be surprised to learn magpies swoop people sometimes in australia <laughs> um it's, it's big news i know that nobody will be aware of um but we in the process of doing that and i was also becoming quite seriously an urban ecologist so I'm, I'm just a scientist who works at a university studies animals my speciality is the animals that live in cities cities are full of people I don't know whether you've noticed um, <laughs> and so there's quite an inter- interaction going on there but in the process of studying the magpies it, I became, it became really clear that there was heaps of them being fed and I hadn't really could have gathered or even thought about that much and that was like quite a while ago but it's always been there and then we started to do some studies and we and a couple of students of mine where they did surveys to see how often people were feeding because we just wanted to know as background to our ecology. We didn't really, weren't interested in the people thing at all at the time. But it just slowly became incredibly obvious that there was lots of people feeding. <clears throat> but I was also aware because I'm in Australia that there's serious opposition to this whole thing. And I bought into the whole thing as well. I mean, I was, I was an adamant anti-bird feeder all the way through.
0: Oh, wow, really? Oh, absolutely, yes. At what point do you reckon that
1: changed? It changed when I started to read and hear about the benefits that bird feeding can bring to the birds and to people, um, the really importance of connecting with nature. Let's get to that a bit later on because that's – first of all, I, I was wanted to just know how, how big a deal this was. And, that, and those first early surveys were truly shocking for me and for everybody else because, like everyone else, I assumed that people really didn't feed birds. We all knew that you shouldn't do it. Everybody knew what the reasons were. But I soon discovered that there was massive numbers of people. So we did – you know, the first time of this, this, our survey came out, which was the first time that anyone had asked that question in Australia, how many, how many households are feeding birds – the first study—it was a big study—but it was just in Brisbane. Thirty-eight percent, and I wow. gave a few talks about that. And all the people that I went, you know, told this to—they went, "No way! That's absolutely impossible. You must have done something wrong." And I agreed. I thought that's just crazy. It must have been the way we structured this pro the, the, the survey or something. We're up to third. 30- we're 12. Now, 12 big studies have been done in Australia in various places, including a huge national one um, that was done through the ABC, which with 45,000 survey participants. And so the 38% was the lowest we've ever got in terms of the household proportion in Australia feeding. The highest was, was uh, 72%. It's around about an average of 58%. All you need to know, those numbers are meaningless. All I mean is, on average, most of the households in Australia, spend some money feeding the birds. Mm. Incredible. No one can comprehend that.
0: Now, I want to go back to something that you mentioned before about how you came into urban ecology and that prior to that, it was kind of seen that, I I guess, urban ecology was kind of had this negative um, vibe to it I mm, guess. Mm. Um, I'm wondering being someone who's now defined as an urban ecologist how difficult was it in those early days to say hey I want to study eco- ecology but how humans impact that ecology and the those interactions? A-
1: Angela that's an incredibly insightful question because when I started doing this I got not just no you know no no um suggestions that that's a good idea. I got absolute opposition from even the people who were supervising my research as a student. So I now, I I, I was, it's now a little bit of history, but my honours project was way back, way back, and and it was on the urban birds of my hometown in New South Wales. And I now realise that that was the first... Urban bird study done in Australia. Now, nobody at my university thought that was a good idea. Like all ecologists, we were trained and told endlessly that if you truly want to understand what's going on in in the wild in nature, you you get away from wherever people are. You must get away from the human influence. So that meant, by definition, nothing in cities. You couldn't possibly do that. And so, as a result, the urban the the ecology of cities was absolutely neglected, willfully neglected. It was just like that's. We can't deal with people. We have to get away from the human influence. If you're going to study your animal, go to the deepest jungle somewhere and study it way away from people. Now, we actually know that's completely mis- misleading. Not only does it ignore the fact that where people live is where the animals are, you know, in, the, in our cities, there's huge... Australia is extraordinary. I mean, we've got so many wild native animals living right among us in the busiest cities. You know, it's just... Walking to the studio this morning, I saw so many cockatoos, ibis, you know, everything, like lots and lots of stuff, living right in the middle of Sydney, for example. So the animals are all around us. And so I kind of, I knew that for a long time and I thought, I hope at some stage this will be a, a, a respected um, Thing you know, a way of doing science, and it is now. I mean, it's it's, it's at what genuine. point? At what
0: point did people say, "Hmm, Darrell, I think you're on to something here."
1: Nobody's ever said that to me. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, th- they would probably. I hope that they thought it at least. Um, but no, it. I mean, urban ecology became a an actual, very serious. You know, now it's a. It's jo- kind of
0: inevitable, isn't it? Well, you have to do it,
1: it. Absolutely, of course it is. Uh, but it took a long time, and it really did. And and those that kind of first of all, it was just being ignored and then it was like oh well we'll take a little bit of notice because I guess there's some wildlife management problems like the magpie thing or something like that maybe there's a reason now it's genuinely we we study urban environments because they are generally I mean genuinely an ecosystem of their own it's just that we have It's a dynamic ecosystem. It's changing all the time. It's very different, but it's still an ecosystem. And so now urban ecology is about that. It's just studying the one that humans are involved in in a big way.
0: Mm. And now I want to get into bird feeding. So I guess one of the main things that people say, those who are opposed to bird feeding, they say, oh, just put out a bowl of water or um, plant trees that will attract birds. But I guess for some people that's not enough. So I'm wondering why isn't that enough? What's the psychology behind bird feeding? Why why isn't that enough?
1: Uh, That's another really good question. Um, Well, first of all, say there's you know in the current situation in Australia, nobody, no matter whether you live in a tiny apartment in the middle of town somewhere or out on a farm, everybody needs should have a bird bath of some sort. It's really important. We need to put out plenty of food, uh, water for the for the birds. That's really critical. So everyone go out and buy a a good bird feed bird bath that you can clean thoroughly um, so why do people do it? it it's definitely a relationship thing they really really enjoy uh the fact that truly wild animals come to visit them and it's not and it's really important we've done this this work for a fair a fair bit of detail it's not because some people think it's because they think of those wild animals as pets it's not they they value them because they're wild they really do so if you're living in a town somewhere and all you do is stick out a handful of something or other and put it on a dish over there and completely wild animals come to visit you really in your in, at your place because of such a minor thing that you've done that's an amazing in uh, like interaction with nature and for lots of people, that's it's genuinely profound. It's really – I mean, so many people have told me with tears in their eyes how much they this means to them. So we can't belittle that, that in any way at all. For the majority of people, it's just a nice, fun thing to do, to see them. But um, I have to tell you something, because I did – you know, I've gone through the whole process of being a, a, an avid anti-bird feeder to being a bird feeder myself – when I started writing a book about bird feeding some years ago, I went, look, you know, I actually have to become a bird feeder. I wasn't a bird feeder at the time. I was interested in it from a scientific perspective, but I, did, I did, wasn't. I went, what credibility will I have if I don't actually do something about this? So I went, oh, well, the, the people in the pre, the house, who lived in the house that we live in currently had a, had a feeder and I took no notice of it. And I went, oh, well, there's a feeder there. I'll clean it off and put some stuff out. And instantly there was rainbow lorikeets there. And they said, you know, and they started using it. So at that stage, I then started to realise some of the things that the feeders were getting and telling me, and I didn't appreciate that. And one of the things is, even though you're, you might be an incredibly keen bird or naturalist of any sort, most of the time the animals that you see are fleeting through the air, especially the birds, or in the tops of a t- tree somewhere, or they fly off and you have to see them through binoculars or telescopes. When you feed, and, you, and, you, and it's just there on the veranda or somewhere... They're just a couple of metres away, and so then you see how extraordinarily gorgeous these animals are, so close. And many, many mornings I've looked, you know, been looked at in the eye by a a lorikeet or a king parrot, you know, or a or some some other completely wild bird who just who looks directly at me and say and, and and conveys to me, I'm wild. I'm just visiting you. I've got a busy life. (laughs) <laughs> I'll see you later, you know, like, and it's... But but I don't ever get the impression that they're not completely in control, mm, you know.
0: I, I want to go into something that you said about, I guess, the the scientific consensus on this, because it mm. is quite controversial in scientific circles. Um, I know that one of the arguments I've heard um, been made was, well, if we feed the birds, they're just going to rely on us and it's just going to be like, you know, they're, they're not going to know how to fend for themselves I mean, is that true?
1: Absolutely. So that's the number one concern. So around the world now, I mean, I do this internationally now and with lots of other colleagues in all sorts of places in the world because we all are interested in what's going on and what's happening and how that influences the birds around them. So that's the number one concern for people who are opposed to feeding, of which there are plenty, and the people who actually do the feeding. They have concerns themselves. If it was true that the birds were becoming reliant on this food that we're putting out, a completely artificial, unnatural source of food, often not the sort of things that they would be eating naturally anyway, if they were reliant on that, then we really couldn't stop feeding them. And in fact, there is a, the so-called golden rule of feeding, which came from America, which is once you start feeding, you really mustn't stop. Now, there will be people listening to this, this, uh, this broadcast Absolutely true, who think, that's, I believe that. If I stop feeding the birds, they will just starve, possibly starve to death. And that's really serious. I mean, that's, if, if they are dependent on the food we're providing, that's a terrible situation and we, and we really shouldn't be doing it. Okay, here's the seriously good news. We looked at this in very great detail. I've done serious work myself on this, but lots of people around the world, because it's the number one concern, lots and lots of people have looked at this. We've gathered it all together. It's really written up very well in that first book of mine, um, The Birds at My Table. And what it actually says is, across the board, there is absolutely no evidence, almost anywhere, that any bird is dependent on the food we provide. Across the board, on average it's only 7% of their daily diet do they get from the feeder. Only 7%. So even the birds that are coming to feeders all the time, most of their food, and literally more than 90% of their food, is coming from the natural stuff that they would normally get. So, so it's just a little tiny, tiny fraction of their diet. Thank goodness. And, and, and so here's something that you know, people really need to hear. Those birds that come to... Your birds, which comes to your feeder, your place... They don't need that food. You can stop feeding them tomorrow, and they probably wouldn't notice. And here's some really hard, which may
0: be hard to I know. You know, take in.
1: Absolutely hard news to hear this, but you know your birds that you feed and you're keeping alive. They probably visit twelve people up and down your street. <gasps>
0: <laughs> oh my god! No,
1: so that, that's it's serious, <laughs> and pain. I'm and I'm saying this quite seriously to the people who might be listening. It's they don't actually need to come to your food and to your place. It's wonderful that they do enjoy that interaction. But really, in almost every case, it's a snack. Mm. We're not providing a whole meal. We're not. We couldn't. In our arrogance, we would never be able to provide the full nutrition that an, a wild bird would need. Mm. So we, but it, what we do is we put out a little bit of a snack, and and that's why I really like to think of it as, uh, you know, it's a it's a quick meeting between some friends at, at the coffee shop, or you know, a, a tim tam and a cup of tea type of thing. That's that's what it is. Enjoy that as for what it is, and that also gives us full permission to not have to feed all the time. They don't need it. Lots of people will say, but they always look so hungry. All birds always look hungry, but they don't necessarily need to feed on that. That, that we're providing.
0: I remember reading this really interesting study about ibises in um, Central Sydney and how you know if they know it's raining and humans won't be out, they're like see years mm. later they'll yeah. go down to forage naturally at the domain.
1: Absolutely, no, yeah. that's really I've done I've done some work on on the Brisbane ibis, exactly the same same deal. So they they get it. They call bin chickens, you know, as, <laughs> as the usual story, and so the people that don't like them talk about all the ter- terrible things they do. And it appears that they just scavenge all the time. Now they they do. They come into town. They're all over all over Sydney, um, scavenging away, and they. But but what they've and so that you know between 10, 9 and ten, where people have their coffee break and from work and come out into the or, or lunchtime, about four hours previously, those ibis were out hardcore. Foraging along the rivers and along the banks of the of the lakes, or in the garden beds, or in the bush, or wherever it might be, gaining all the natural food that they would normally do, and then they have got heaps of time on their hands, so they'll just oh let's go and you know let's go and have a snack on some chips and you know leftover <laughs> muffins in the in the park. It's it's utterly trivial in terms in terms of their daily diet that bit of scavenging. So again, even with ibis, urban ibis living in the city among us, most of their food is natural. You know, it's really important to know that.
0: We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with Daryl Jones in just a moment. Subscribe to our AG magazine for six months for just $30 and save 33% on the newsstand price. That's three issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $30. Plus, you will also receive exclusive benefits, including 10% off all products purchased in our e-store. So don't wait. Go to www.australiangeographic.com.au Forward slash talking Australia for our special offer. That's www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash talking Australia. We're back with Daryl Jones. I want to go into, um, I guess, you mention in your book, um, The Birds at My Table, about the kind of development of bird feeding, how it started mm. in the kitchen and throwing out your scraps. It's yep. now being this you know, million dollar business in a lot of countries, mm. I think in Australia as well, um, it's a million dollar business. So I was wondering if you could kind of chart that kind of development for us.
1: Yeah, that's a big, big story. I think it's really important that everybody goes out and buys a copy of the birds at my <laughs> table to get the whole story. But so I can, I can do a potted version. Yeah, in the eighties, um, in the eighties there was it started then. Uh, up until that point, people were feeding feeding birds, but they weren't. There was no products. You couldn't go to the supermarkets or anywhere and get stuff for for the wild birds so people didn't bother they didn't need to because they had household stuff you know the f- leftovers from the from a meal or or just other types of animal food like the budgies in the cage or the chooks that you sp- fed in the backyard or whatever it might be so we all had stuff like that that we could use and throw out on the back lawn and that sort of thing some people made a Kind of feeder, they just whacked together a, bits, a couple of bits of board and put a platform feeder out on the veranda or something, and put the leftovers on that. But nobody was buying anything. There was nothing to buy. Since then, it's utterly exploded in terms of the variety of hardware, which are the feeders themselves, or the food itself, in terms of the number of products. So in in the in England, Europe, North America, the number of things that you can buy is truly extraordinary. It's in fact in America alone, $4 billion a year. $4 billion a year in terms of the industry. In Australia, it's very different. It isn't much of an industry here. One of the reasons... Well, the primary reason is because, as we've already discussed, this is a forbidden, controversial subject. So they—they've been the, the pet food companies who would love to get into this this w- this field have been really reluctant to get involved because it's so controversial. They don't want to be involved in pushing something that that apparently you shouldn't do. So they the, so what that means is the birds in Australia, the very very different birds we have here, nothing like us, the um, Northern northern hemisphere birds. We don't know what they. Eat and what they should be feeding and feeding on and all that sort of thing. So there is just no information available for 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 Australian birds.
0: So you couldn't walk into Coles and purchase, you know, or Woolies and purchase an appropriate bird mix at this point.
1: Well, you can. There are heaps of stuff around called wild bird food. But but a student of mine did this. Um, We. Couple, just, just two years ago, we, we, we purchased, we think, every single product in Australia available, made, you know, from Australia, called wild bird something, you know, that, that it was appeared to be a wild bird thing. Um, in almost, almost every case, there was a couple of exceptions, but almost every case, that was cage bird, so budgie, small parrot, finch-type feed, made for pets in cages, and they just whacked wild on the cover and put a different type of bird on it so they've taken off this strange exotic south american parrot or whatever it was on the on the cover and put a you know lorikeet or a or a rosella but but genuinely there's no they haven't done much about that sort of stuff so in australia there is still a real dearth of information of of products that you can buy from from places mm.
0: Let, let's go into that with this kind of um, this anti-feeding sentiment in Australia mm. I mean why is it so different here
1: i I can tell you that I've probably thought more about this than anybody <laughs> any other person on the planet and I still don't know I still don't know um, the the concerns the reasons that people say we you shouldn't feed birds because of are exactly the same reasons around the world the do they become you know will they become dependent on the food we provide do they spread disease let's talk about that next do they attract predators is the nutrition is the nutrition of the food that we put appropriate you know all those kinds of things genuinely really important things those things must be addressed we must face up to the fact of how important those things are but there is not any information We don't know about what what they are.
0: Is it the case that it comes from kind of the top down in that, Organisations that Australians typically respect, like Wires and places like that, say don't feed them at all. And so the general consensus has just become, well, don't feed at all. But then I guess my next question is, where does it come from? Mm, I I mean, where did Wires get it from?
1: No, absolutely. So Wires is a good example because they are adamantly opposed to this sort of thing for very good reasons. Because the animals that they so Wires are the people who look after um, sick or injured birds or something like that or, or native wildlife in whatever sort and they they see the see the problem the problem so they they see um, the lorikeets which with have beak and feather disease they see all sorts of other types of problems they see um, uh, the way that parasites can be move into the animals that have eaten too much m- uh, mince they see the effect of too much bread so they see the effect of this kind of thing and they are they have genuinely strong concerns about those sorts of things now, that's, that's true, real, absolutely face up to it right now. When we feed birds, we actually cause them risk and, and problems. And so why would a, somebody like me who knows that, sees it clearly? Why would I be putting out a bird feeding book in Australia? Because I deeply care about the welfare of those birds. I also know that those millions, and it genuinely is millions of people in Australia feeding birds, will not stop. This is too important for them. They're not going to stop, no matter how much you know hand waving we do, finger pointing, telling people to not not to do it. That's not going to have any effect. All that happens, I've seen it so often. Those people, their feeders, just shake their heads sadly and say, "You really don't understand how important this is, do you?" You know, and and that they might be misguided in that sentiment, but they're not going to stop. So the reason I'm putting out this new book is to say, here. There, there are some serious concerns. You know, Here's what you need to do to do this sensibly, sustainably with the re- least risk. And so I have found as many vets as I possibly can have gone to everybody who knows anything about this sort of thing to, to get the best information available so that we can do this properly.
0: Mm. And do you feel like the debate around bird feeding in Australia has kind of, um, I guess, um, gotten more traction in the last few years and could have you published a book about bird feeding and how to do it maybe a decade ago
1: no no you were definitely not i think the timing is right for this sort of thing it's just a fluked i'm um, fl- fluked this completely um, i mean the first book the, the the birds at my table was a, a serious but popular science book about what happens when we feed birds around the world? It was why do people do it, and what's going on, and what are the impacts on the bird communities, and how does Germany differ from South America? All that, all that kind of stuff, you know. And it was just genuinely about this is a big deal. It's much bigger than most people realise. Um, and there wasn't any other books, and so it's you know it's it's been it's been an international you know big deal that that book. Lots of people were interested in it, but in Australia it was it was seen as um, the possibility that I was promoting bird feeding. And, and I got absolutely hammered by all the usual people that you, you can expect. And, I mean, there's plenty of documented evidence in social media about what was said <laughs> about me. I got lots of career advice and uh, things. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, no, so, and pretty, so, some pretty nasty stuff as well. And that, that, that kind of flushed out this massive amount of ill feeling. But I didn't give up. I kept giving talks. I gave 70 talks last year around Australia on on this topic. And I flogged, you know, the, the message as hard as I possibly could. But at one at one stage I was giving a talk and as as I've already said, you know, I was really interested in the bird feeding on a global scale. I was fascinated by the origins of the bird feeding, you know. In religious practice in India, and a, you know, and I thought that was really fascinating. When I give a talk, nobody cared about that stuff at all. They just wanted to know, oh, you mean we can talk about bird feeding safely in public? Oh, if that's the case, then well, what should I feed the magpies, or what? You know, what can I do? And so it, the the floodgates absolutely opened up. So I think there, I think what's happened is we've actually kicked open this door to this conversation. And Australian Geographic have been you know, right there at the forefront of this, and I really thank you, thank them for that, thank you guys, um, because it's now genuinely a, a, a conversation. So the first book wasn't in any way promoting bird feeding, and I got hammered. This next one is definitely promoting bird feeding, and it's not. I'm not. It's not happening. It's almost like that's very interesting. yeah. No, it's almost like uh, okay, we'll we'll give up. Um, I mean, plenty of people are opposed and they're just saying these people are idiots for, for, for bird feeding in the first place. But, you know, again, I'll go back to the the point that I bothered to do this. I'm not writing a book to make money. You don't make money out of books like this. I'm, I'm out there because I truly can't not do it. Ethically, I had to write this book because I understood the impact on the birds and I understood that we must get information as the best possible information out to the people of the feeding as much as we can. That's mm. that's why I'm doing it.
0: And I want to talk about good bird feeding. Now, as you said, Australian Geographic published a story on the front cover about bird feeding and very controversially um, had a lorikeet eating a little bit of seed. Mm. And we got comments like, oh, lorikeets aren't supposed to be eating seeds. Like, why is Australian Geographic promoting this? So I guess... What is bad bird feeding and what is good bird feeding? Good
1: question. Okay, now let's go. So let's go right to one of the things that I've already said, uh, and that is that when we feed birds, we shouldn't even think that we're providing all their nutrition. We can't. We simply can't do it. So what we're providing is a little bit of a snack, and most of the time that will be a very small proportion of their diet. And if that's the case, you don't need to put out too much. Um, The last words in the first book, The Birds at My Table, the last words in there are, we think the feeders are for the birds, the feeders are actually for us. You know, it's about the enjoyment we get out of this interaction with with wildlife. And if that's the case, we're not providing a whole meal or all the stuff that they need. We can't, we shouldn't, we even couldn't even, shouldn't even think we can. But we can have a great interaction with them on a small amount, at a small scale. So that just simply means... We don't need to put out a tonne of food. We don't need to put out a kilogram of mince like happens in some places. It's just a little bit. So if it's just for them, it's for this, you know, cup of tea with some friends type thing. So portion size is really important. A little bit, absolutely. So at my, my feeder, once it's completely clean every morning, I put out a cup of seed. It'll be gone in an hour or two. Um, it's where I'm when I'm having breakfast I can look out the window and see the birds coming.
0: And I'm sure everyone will want to know what seed do you put out?
1: Well, um, okay, if we're going to talk about me for a minute, um, mm. I've got um, probably seven species, most of them feed seed eaters. So, again, we'll, let, we'll get to the point of who comes to feeders. It's not all the birds available, only the birds that come to the feed that we put out. So when I put out seed, it's only seed eaters, which means parrot-type birds or pigeon-type birds. Some people are very lucky and they can actually have finches come to their feeders with, if you put out tiny little seeds that the finches are able to. But again, it's just that small proportion of birds that eat seed. It's by no means all the birds. So something completely radical that I'm suggesting in the book is saying we need to get right away from this limited thing. Let's, we, we should be trying to benefit. If we're going to do things like inter, interact and interfere with nature by putting out feed, because it's a completely unnatural thing that's really unnatural... Let's make it as natural as possible. And so have a bigger variety of types of food. I'm even advocating things like every day you put out something different. So like blueberries one day and uh, cooked rice another day and all these kinds of things. Lots of suggestions in the book about what that might be because the point is let's, let's um, get different birds coming, um, all that sort of stuff. So the, to continue with the question of what is good and bad bird feeding, um, good feeding is not very much. Good bird feeding is really appropriate food, which means it has to be nutritionally balanced. Which means we have to talk about mints.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, what what is off limits?
1: We have to talk about mints and and a few other things like bread. So let's start with mince. the most the favourite bird in Australia, and it will be voting again very shortly because it's Bird Week, <laughs> and that means it will be asked. Australia will be asked, what's your favourite bird, and who
0: are you voting for?
1: I, I'm I'm actually going to be voting for the black-throated finch for political reasons. Ah. Yes, that's right. So it's, I know it's not going to win, but uh, that's what I'm doing. But but every year, for I think it's twelve years now, magpies have won. You know, that's that's the favourite bird in Australia, even though it beats us up every now and again. But it's also the most commonly fed bird in Australia, and the most common food provided for this most commonly fed favourite bird. If you can get all those things together. Is unfortunately mince. Now, what's the problem with mince? The, the main problem with mince is that it's just meat. Now, the birds that eat it, um, they don't eat seed, so you can't put seed out, and there's nothing available for the insectivore or carnivorous type birds, kookaburras, butcher birds, magpies, um, you know, all those sorts of birds, which, which are come, will come to feed us, especially magpies. So people just go oh well i guess it's meaty type stuff we'll put out this convenient cheap stuff that you can get anywhere mince now it's doesn't the problem with mince is two things it doesn't have enough calcium so some people are dedicated enough to buy calcium powder and mix it in and that's a great thing to do um, another thing that people sometimes do if they really care about this is get this i'll mention a product because it is worth mentioning there's a, there's a company called Wombaru which make lots of bird foods. They make them primarily for native birds, which are being re- rehabilitated by, you know, by people like Wires and all that sort of stuff. And that stuff is absolutely brilliant. It's really, that is the one type of food for native birds that has been researched thoroughly. Now, they make a big deal about saying it's not for the bird feeders, not not for bird feeding wild birds. It's for the birds that we are that unfortunately are in captivity, and so this is appropriate for them. So there's a, there's a there's a, a an insectivore mix that you can get from the Wombaroo people, um, and that's that's available in all the big big um, pet food shops. Um, and you can mix that in with mince, or make the stuff itself. It's like a porridge, and they can eat that as well. But so if we can't eat mince, what can we provide? I've looked, talked to lots of vets, and they all said, oh, there's not anything really as good as the natural food. But if we're really, really, really pushed a lot better than mince and it's not by any means, you know, appropriate really, but if you had to, if you had to, if you had to, if you were really pushed, <laughs> then maybe pet food like dried dog food or even a little bit of that dog sausage stuff it looks like a big um A Devon Roll kind of thing you can get? Oh, yeah. A little bit of that. Now, the point is when insectivores or carnivores eat food, they don't eat just the meat. They eat the bones and the feathers and everything, the whole animal, and all together that provides all the nutrition, all the the elements that they require. If they don't have enough meat, it's calcium like any raw meat, any raw meat, so chopped up heart or liver or anything else, it doesn't have enough calcium... Calcium is utterly crucial for normal be- metabolism. So if there's not enough in the diet, then they will withdraw it from the storage place, which is their bones. And if that goes on for too long, the bones will become weak, brittle, or bent, and that's a terrible thing. It's called metabolic um, metabolic disease, and that's what we don't want to happen. So that's why meat, um, you know, mints or any other meats, we have to get away from feeding. So hopefully, people will take notice of that.
0: And what about bread? You mentioned uh, bread.
1: Okay, number two. Bad thing, bread. Look, bread's a wonderful food for humans. You know, it's, it shouldn't be fed to anything else. And this, I know, is a, is a, it's already a failed campaign because, you know, grandma and the kids are going right this <sighs> minute down to the park, to, down to the local park in every park where there's a pond in the entire known universe to chuck out bread to the, to the ducks. All right. And
0: it is those. It is an early interaction with wildlife
1: that children it's a, get. It's a wonderful thing. So, And it's not going to happen again. It's People are not going to give this up. It would be so nice if they didn't actually feed the bread. So I've got a whole section on, well, if it's not bread, what can you feed? And you can feed all sorts of stuff because people are not going to give up feeding the ducks. It's a wonderful thing. So you can feed other stuff. Um, the problem with bread is not that it's toxic or dangerous or anything like that. It's simply that it fills up the small stomachs of the birds that eat it. And they eat a heap of it, and then they're full. And they think they don't need any food, but they're not getting enough nutrition. Mm. Dry, especially crap white bread. People still buy crap white bread. Anyway, that's the sort of stuff that gets fed to them. Um, It's got nothing in it. It's just too much of nothing you but know. then
0: the other i guess the other thing is that a lot of people will feed ducks in public spaces but yeah. is is that an issue feeding birds in public spaces it is it
1: is and i make all the things that i'm talking about anything to do with my bird feeding uh, topic that i research and write about is always about the feeding it in our own in our places where at home you know in the backyard or whatever and that's really where most of the research has been done you can't kind of get away from the pet you know feeding in public places so i am very strongly an advocate of never feeding in public places you know especially rain you know like national park picnic areas or anything like that or or down at the beach we simply just shouldn't do it it's just not good for the birds um so the so the bread thing is yeah, not bread for the for the ducks you can what they absolutely love i've, I've tried this myself it came it's um now advocated very widely around the world. Um, frozen peas. I mean oh, wow. frozen peas are wonderful. They're not we won't be frozen by the time you get down to the park. But the but the ducks love it. Really, really love it. So and also cooked rice, cooked because it's easy easily digestible, but also it won't uh, sprout and grow. So and so, you know, keep a bit of um, keep a bit of the the, uh, the rice from the Chinese meal that you're having on Saturday night and, and use that if you're going to feed the ducks. That's you know and, and there's a couple of other things as well
0: and tell us a bit about the hygiene around bird feeding and getting that right
1: okay that's really that so that's the second most important thing uh after after the dependency thing so we everybody's worried about dependency but it turns out that's not much of a case but everybody needs to be concerned about the 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 uh, the feed the uh, the disease problem, because what we do is something extremely unnatural. We concentrate heaps of birds that, in species that would never have anything to do with each other, in large numbers, in one location every single day, just there, because that's where we put the food. It never happens in nature. Nowhere in nature would that be the case. It might be a um, there might be a whole lot of crows or, or eagles killing eating a, a dead kangaroo on the side of the road, but that only lasts for a while, and then they're gone, and they go to the next thing. But what this this completely predictable one location for food, in one place every day, is totally unnatural. Now the problem with that is, if there's a sick bird, and inevitably there will be at some stage a sick, contagious bird, that's obviously where the the uh, disease will be spread. So it's utterly impossible to prevent that unless to 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 uh, well, sorry. What we must do is keep that really clean. So in both of these books, I talk about the table. What I'm suggesting is we are having um, a meal with friends. These are the bird friends who are coming to us to meet us at the table. Well, you'd never actually use a you know, dirty plate from last night. You'd have a very clean table and of course or a clean plate. So it means that the surface that you use to put the food must be utterly clean. And I there's a lots of instructions on how to do that properly. It's easy to do, but we have to do it regularly. So that's... Absolutely crucial keeping it clean. So
0: think of your birds as dinner guests basically. Absolutely.
1: That's the whole point. That's the whole point, yes.
0: And how do you want people to react to feeding the birds your new book? What are you what are you hoping to change with it?
1: I think we need to just get around, get over the fact that people are doing it and stop pretending that it's not real. It's, we now no longer can afford to think of it as a forbidden subject. It's no longer a forbidden subject. I'm announcing right this minute. It's no longer a forbidden subject. We can talk about feeding the birds in Australia. And we have to, for the birds' sake and for the people's sake, we've got to get this right.
0: Thank you so much for talking to me today, Daryl.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia with Daryl Jones. If you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. Thanks for listening. Until next time.